are listening in on Leap. In today's episode, we're starting the conversation about sensory processing with Leap Forward's Director of Occupational Therapy, Micaiah Johnson. I think at Leap, we talk about sensory... All the time. All the time. It's just constantly like the word sensory is thrown around. Sensory tools. Sensory tools. Individual differences. Yes. Yeah. And I think it gets weaved into a lot of things. Yeah. So I'd love to hear kind of just your initial take of if you're sitting down with somebody and it's like step one of here's a sensory profile, what that could mean. Well, yeah, it's definitely something that I try to like dip my toes into knowing like how much parents understand or don't understand about the topic because sometimes parents come in like extremely well versed and have googled everything and have uh, know quite a bit and other times we start kind of just walking through what the sensory systems are and I think it's a pretty easy concept to grasp in the beginning because our life like human life is a sensory experience like drinking this coffee is a sensory experience of 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 uh, figuring out the temperature in my mouth of that I'm drinking a hot liquid and having the uh, understanding in my hands to hold my coffee mug with the right muscle pressure so I don't drop this hot liquid all over my body and scorch myself. Mm-hmm. Like So every single act that we're doing, our world is a sensor world where sensation is coming at us through all different forms and then we have a behavior or a purposeful action to what the response is so like i mean this hot coffee tastes wonderful so my reaction is this is a lovely experience i want to do it again and again and again because it's so wonderful but uh, kids with sensory processing differences um, they're going to respond to some of the sensation might be too much overload and so they will say no more not again avoidance or no more that was terrible meltdown or yes please more that was amazing crave crave cave give me all of that sensory information so our world is is sensation coming at us um along with inside our body we have sensation going out now as we take in those different sensations what is then that response? And when we find sensory processing differences, it's going to be when the response is not appropriate or efficient. Got it. Got it. So that makes sense. Because everybody's going to have sensory processing in their own way. Everyone will also have individual differences and preferences. Right. No matter how perfectly neurotypical you can be, there's still going to be an ideal sensation um, cap and or um, bandwidth, if you will, right. that that's that person's perfectness. A, a ideal volume of a party. Yes. Or whatever that may be. Right. Um, Every neuro, even if you're a completely typical human being, you're going to have your ideal bandwidth of sensation that you want coming in. Right. Yeah. Yes. If it's a challenging space. Yes. What are you, what I guess what I guess my question is what are you looking for in that space? Right, so we're looking at um, essentially the response, the behavior or response is going to be what's going to give like the OT lens and or anyone who's working in this field because um, sensory processing from speech therapists to DTs that everyone is working through sensory processing. It's just kind of a specific OT lens. 
um, that we're really digging in. That's that's our really our wheelhouse. Um, so what we're looking at is the product or the um, behavior that comes from sensation coming in. So the response that you're doing when you walk into that space where the volume is a little bit too high. And on the flip side, the non-response. So okay. both the response coming in from sensation and the sensation is at you and then responses go out the window. So uh, a child is just, you know, having a great time, da 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 da, da everything is clicking, everything is fun, play, 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 and then the a lot of kids come in and so the volume of the room goes up and then the child kind of might get frozen or stuck or start playing independently with him, his own self instead of like being amongst all those peers that he just was at. So that would be the opposite of a response. It would be no response. which again is something I'm looking at that that means that the sensation was too much so you're going to go into your own internal self and there's also not only is sensation kind of in our whole world that we're taking in but there's also a internal response that we're having so within like sensory processing so I'm looking at the the top five that you learn in grade school of of sight sound um, smell taste touch but then there's also vestibular which is our movement processing Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of our response to um, gravity our response to movement the need to move or the need to not move proprioception which is the internal sensation of of our body in space how much force or pressure to use to to do something uh, like i said picking up my coffee cup i didn't spill it on myself because i knew how much force to use to hold the cup in my hand mm-hmm. and then there's also introspection uh which is like our internal organ sensation to us so like mm hunger and thirst is introception so like that's something that i think can quickly get skipped but it it's something that we have to have our eyes tuned into still or at least our brains tuned into as the professionals working around that and the parents because um if you're already having a sensory experience that might be too much or 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 too little and you're tired that's going to be like a double whammy of like a handful of different sensations. So you're figuring out the sensation in your own body along with taking in more sensation in your outdoor world. So it's kind of like a traffic jam of just too much happening. And that's why all humans Mm -hmm. have this introception space where like we all might get a little hangry when we're really hungry. Like that's our introception, internal organ sensation, giving us this information saying, hey, this is not working at that ideal bandwidth, at that ideal space. Like Mm -hmm. I need more food to feel better. Like that's gonna keep me in the zone. I need enough sleep to feel better. And if those things are dipped down too low or too high, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna have the best um, behaviors or responses because something isn't feeling right inside you. So you can kind of take that concept, which we feel all the time of like, what it's like to be really sleepy and then also have to do something. That same concept happens throughout all these other things of like taking in visual information, um, taking in taste, all that sort of thing. So I think that's kind of like a good thing to remember of like, we all know what it's like to have too much or too little sensation through our internal organ sense. That makes a lot of sense. And there's also, I don't know if you want to go into this or not, but like there is a, a lot more than just like the, we got the basics of, you know, eyes, ears, mouth, nose, 
and uh, touch, but there's more that we can go in with just that. So our eyes, the act of seeing is, is one thing, but the act of our visual sensation is also making sense of what we're seeing. So we see an experience, but we're also making sense of it. Like Mm -hmm. noticing the difference between a square and a rectangle. That takes like a really specific eye to like look and see the details of it's not just a a four-sided thing, it's actually, you know, two sides are longer than the other. So it's actually, it's making sense and then finding meaning is a part of your visual sensation system. So like, Um, and we could go into like each one of our different top five Mm -hmm. of like all of the minuscule ways of how sensation might be too much or too little. So like the tactile system, it's not just the act of touching it's there. There's actually a handful of things to go on with the sense of touch. So there's a protective, um, side of touch, knowing if something's hot or knowing if something's hot, knowing if there's a spider crawling up on you and you don't have a visual idea, but that spider, you can feel that spider. So you wipe it away as a protective defense. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also tactile discrimination. So that's the concept of like, if you're reaching in your purse to find a quarter, but you just feel a bunch of coins which yeah. one's an actual quarter. So um, I'm terrible at that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so each one of our, our senses we can really dig into and we and there's countless different ways of, of what that means for what kind of responses kids or humans will have. Mm-hmm. Which is why this is such a complicated subject and why we can't just give you like, oh, your kid has sensory processing challenges. Here is all the things you do now because it's such a specific like mapped out strategy and solutions that we have to create for you because your kid might have like a really advanced protective tactile discrimination um, system like or you know a neurotypical tactile discrimination system but the visual system gets really overloaded and so like your sensory diet or your sensory strategies are going to be all based in that visual side where this other kid uh, has a really um, under responsive vestibular system but everything else is clicking in a more accurate way and so your sensory diet or or sensory strategies will be based in the vestibular space mm-hmm. So there could, you can kind of be over-responsive or under-responsive to these eight different sensory systems. Uh, this is probably just too much information, but the general consensus that I'm trying to get to is some scientist found out that there's over a million, it might not even, I don't want to quote this exactly, but it's something like 18 million different types of individual differences that can be kind of mapped out because of all the different ways that you can have everything lined up. There's like- Cause there's eight categories. Eight you can categories, be under, over or under. And or. then there's a postural category. So each of these different sensations can, can either connect or not connect to this postural system. And then there's a modulation category, which means that's either you need more or you need less, and this is gonna affect your social emotional regulation and so with all the different categories of where sensation where you could kind of put a pin drop of like this is my kid there's over a million of of that concept so it's not fair that's why i hate sensory diets and you'll see that over all over google of like here's the best sensory diet like this is what you do when you have a sensory process challenge child don't do it have your ot actually make you what your child's sensory diet is because that's kind of that's not that's going to be such a global universal 
kit right. and it's not going to be actually specific to your child which there are so many countless ways that that individual difference might be manifested and it can't be found in just some sensor diet google right right and i think we that happens what what we see with every kid and with every child that comes through our doors but i think with every every child in any school is their learning process and everything looks so individualized right. and so it has to be with this within a sensory processing world it's going it's get, it's also going to be individualized this just comes into so many different categories right and then it what i've seen from my time at leap and being what I would consider like a fly on the wall. So somebody who's not processing, someone who's not seeing this with a therapeutic eye, but someone who's seeing this with a external eye is that everyone's talking to everyone. So speech is talking to OT, who's talking to mental health services, who everybody's talking about the same things and how it all can be um, connected. Right. Um, Because they're all, they're all inter woven within that child's profile totally and that's why we look to have kind of sensory processing in the wheelhouse of all of the therapists that that um are at leap because um regardless of what your domain is speech and language mental health ot blah blah blah, you're going to see that that individual difference manifest in the child because sensory processing can definitely affect regulation um and that's going to be you know the which could be seen for like you walk into that busy room and then a meltdown occurs because it's just too loud and you get stuck in just too much sensation and so that's going to affect our regulation um, or it just might even affect the grumpiness that you see. And so this kid now is, is cranky in particular and rigid and, um, and saying all these different things. And he was, it seemed like he was in a really happy, great spot. And then we go into a busier environment that might be loud or visually fast. And then the regulation is changed and the regulation is affected. Um, it's going to affect how the kid experiences the world. So, um, if it's a kid who is tactily um, sensitive, like like my son Crosby. So today I took him to the park, a new park that we hadn't been to. So I want him to experience the world. I want him to experience this park. He's almost 17 months old, so he's like ready to explore on his own. So I set him down into this little uh, paved path, and then it goes into this beautiful grassy area, and he just gets stuck because grass is just a little bit too much for him. He's just not the biggest fan of grass. It's, and I had sandals on that it was the grass was d- touching his little feet, and so he kind of stopped and stuck at the pavement, and I kind of dug my heels in and I was like no I'm gonna like be more the therapist than the mom in this moment and say come on you can do this you can go over the grass and it was really hard for him and in an ideal world for him he wanted me to pick him up and then he wouldn't have played on any of the park equipment because the grass was too much for him in that moment so he wouldn't have experienced the world he wouldn't have experienced this awesome park because uh he was avoiding that tactile experience of grass but we worked through it. I held his little hand. We took baby steps. It took a much longer time to get to the slide area because I just kind of walked him through it. I did carry him for some of it, but not for all of it. So I, I supported him experiencing the world that was too much. But all that to say, 
Sensation effects our regulation because he did get grumpy and he started squawking at me. Sensation effects experiencing the world because he was about to skip that world. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have affected if we were to, were meeting friends at the park, then it would have affected his intera- his social interactions because he would have skipped that. He would only be thinking about his mom in the grass because that's all that mattered in his life was how the grass and how his mom was going to help him. So he mm-hmm. was we definitely would have skipped out on hanging out with any of his tiny little buddies. <laughs> so like it was affecting so many different ways and then of course like I'm telling a story of a 17 month old but it it affects how we learn too for sure Mm -hmm. I guess we could use this example and say like if he hadn't done a slide before he wouldn't learn how to use a slide because he was avoiding it but I'm saying that more so of like our kids that are more preschool and beyond how we learn is going to be in lots of times in a school-based academic setting Mm -hmm. but if you get overwhelmed by someone um clicking a pencil on the table and so you're just thinking about the pencil clicking and you're not taking in the teacher's instructions you're probably missing something Mm -hmm. or if you're not used to visually tracking someone who's talking and your teacher is moving around the room because that's what second grade teachers do is they move around the room make sure everyone is understanding these directions and you're getting lost by that teacher moving then you're not gonna sensory processing will affect how we learn because that's gonna be what you're focusing on is how to reset your eyes to following this teacher so Mm -hmm. I think the beginning of this story was that is the reason why all these different domains mm-hmm. were were supplying trainings and trainings and trainings to our assistant clinicians, to our top um, therapist, because sensory processing affects how we experience the world, how we learn, how we interact with others, and how we regulate our emotional state. So it's really important to know and then support. Like, that makes so much sense. The more you go into real-life examples of what the classroom could look like or Crosby at the park, Mm -hmm. it makes, it it explains so much of how one area can affect the other and it can be a domino effect in certain spaces. Right. And, of course, there's certain things that is, it's through learning. So, like, it would be this is overwhelming and then a kid would learn how to compensate and figure it out and that some of that is going to happen through experience when everyone's eyes are open um in this scenario when a kid has um sensory processing differences and you have a whole team of people and you have everyone looking just to see what that profile is and how we can create a space in a world that can help navigate that hopefully just the I think one of my biggest hopes is just to teach the parent as much as we can about like because the parent's always going to know their child in the best way possible that I can't even touch mm-hmm. you know but if I can be able to educate in just the smallest amount of like this is your child's sensory strength because um, there's also sensory strengths right there are ideal sensory spaces so like if I can educate more this parent around both their child's sensory challenges, so those subtle things that might be being too much for the kid, like a moving teacher is too much, that, or also the sensory strengths of like, hey, make sure that there's some downtime at the end of a demanding day. Like, Make sure there's a cozy spot with some books set up and you're not putting a lot of questions on your child. You're making sure that their sensory space that they need is low sensation, low sound, low demand. Like it, That is one of my biggest hopes is that we can just teach the parent about their kid because I think when you know your kid so well these little like tiny things that we say of like oh moving people are hard that's gonna put like 
a domino effect of light bulbs from the parent's head of all these different experiences and future experiences that they see their kid either, you know, back to the idea of what um, responses are generated or not generated. Right. They're going to know what that actually looks like in real life. So if know I how can to navigate it. Yeah. If I can give you the clinical rundown of like, this is what's happening in the brain the parent is going to know better of what that actually means in real life for their kid and how then can they support or not support. And also I think for me in knowing that, for example, that I don't have a child, but knowing that with my niece, it also knowing now I know some of her, her sensory um, challenges, but knowing sometimes her reaction and then looking in the room and being like, oh, now I know why this is happening right how can i navigate it now yeah so sometimes it's even playing the cleanup act of Mm. oh wait a minute i didn't catch this or we didn't catch this going into this but we know the reasoning the root of it right totally i mean yeah totally for or for your little niece but Mm -hmm. like for your own self too Oh, a hundred percent for me. I'm a we sensory. Have had, we have totally <laughs> different sensory profiles. Yeah. And we're both successful women in our thirties who have giant sensory profiles. Yes. To uh, a lot of them. <laughs> I still can't touch water beads. You hate them so much. I hate them. They make me gag. And I don't notice Christmas trees lit up. Yes. So individual differences are rampant in all people yes 100 and i know in my own self knowing my own profile of i i lean more a little bit in the under responsive where i'm not noticing enough details when i walk into a place that oh micaiah this is important to listen and to pay attention i have figured out strategies in my own self of what i need to do mm-hmm. to um actually listen and follow through and execute appropriate responses. Mm -hmm. If anyone ever watches me in my uh, treatment room when I'm on a phone call with a parent, I'm just pacing the peripheral of the room. I'm walking, 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 and I'm I'm never sitting still. And I learned, I didn't notice this until I had interns with me. And if the parents gave me the thumbs up, I would invite the interns to overhear uh, with a, what a parent meeting looks like, what a parent phone call looks like. This is how this looks for these future OTs in this profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really, really hard because here I am on speakerphone zipping around the room and this little student is like, do I follow her? Do I walk with her? Do I just sit and listen? <laughs> and so I had to then tell this person, I've realized in my own self, I talk best when I am moving probably this podcast would be 10 times better if i could, if you could just let me zip around this room <laughs> zip, zip, zip. <laughs> sitting down is hard for me sometimes yeah so we have to figure out within our own strategies you know how to make this environment the best so we can execute appropriate responses mm-hmm. and problem solving that in as a 33 year old looks different than a four-year-old so as a four-year-old we need to be doing a lot of that bridging for them we need to be supporting them with how we can support the sensory tools they need Mm -hmm. to make those responses appropriate and efficient yeah i was thinking about that the other day actually because i get i don't like crowd you as you know but podcast people don't i don't like um like festivals or crowded spaces i get anxious at my anxiety skyrockets because it's probably visually too much yeah and probably too loud (laughs) like all of the sensory things to me it's probably too much yeah um but as an as an adult i can choose to like find a quiet space and leave or like 
I don't have to go to street festival. I don't have to go to like I've avoided concerts that I was like, mm, that's probably not a great space for me or I'm not going to enjoy it because I'm going to it's going to make me anxious. Right. Um, but that as an adult woman, I can make those decisions for myself. And I was reflecting on that, that as like children don't get to make those decisions. Right. So they're put into places where this is just what life is looked. And like in, in a classroom, let's say the classroom gets loud or chaotic and all of a sudden it's like free play and everybody's running around crazy. Right. Um, they don't get to just be like, bye, I'm going to go in the hallway. Right. Um, they have to remain in that space. Totally. Where like as an adult, if the office gets wackadoo crazy, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to go and grab myself a cup of coffee or I'm right. going to like step out of the space to remove myself. So it's it's reminding myself that just not, even if they had the tools to like get up and leave and know that, that that's why I'm anxious, right. they don't have the authority to do that oftentimes. Exactly. So it gave me some empathy for the little guys that are literally dealing with the same things that I'm dealing with in a different space. Right. I mean, I have the language processing to, or the ability to verbalize to you, like, this is what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing that, um, I try to remind parents of sometimes is like, sometimes these, sometimes this idea of sensation affecting regulation. So sensation affecting like a meltdown, um, happens in places that are like really wonderful moments so like birthday parties are historically really hard for a lot of sensory kids but when you talk about a birthday party and there's so much joy that comes from like the idea of birthdays you know the meaning of what a birthday looks like of you know that's when I get uh, cake and presents and see my friends and family and all that so like birthdays are a universal wonderful thing but then birthday parties lots of times end up with meltdowns or frustration or like meltdowns at home after this demanding demanding task and it's important to note that like the kid probably wants to experience this wonderful thing like it don't just chalk it off like we don't do birthday parties anymore because they're too hard like make sure that there's grace given around this is hard but we're going to support and walk through this experience and we're going to find ways to make this the the easiest way possible so maybe that means we're going for 20 minutes maybe that means that we're going and we're skipping the birthday song and the cake and we're just going for the playtime in the beginning maybe that means that we find a way to have a birthday party with just the child and a friend and that's it it's not going to the big party after i think birthday parties end up being this space of like trauma and i think <laughs> that I want to be able to support families to walk through these moments and like how can we strategize those really happy joy-filled places we can make those work how can we do that how the, the natural desire for this kid is that they want to enjoy a birthday party how can we make that enjoyable and take birthday parties and put that across the board put that on christmas family party or family parties going to the Lego world or whatever, mm -hmm. like which Lego world has now sensory friendly Saturdays. Hey, once a month. In and the we have a sensory friendly restaurant experience. Yeah, so. So, <laughs> so many sensory friends and the shed has sensory friendly hours, all the things. And the zoo has sensory friendly dolphin shows. Yeah. So, um, clearly the sensory buzzword people are hearing, which is a beautiful thing and, and providing those moments. 
I think that wraps up the beginning of our conversation about sensory integration. Leap Forward is a pediatric developmental clinic and therapeutic preschool and transitional kindergarten operating in Chicago with experts in occupational therapy, speech and language pathology, social work, developmental therapy, and early intervention. To speak with the professionals you heard today or talk to someone at Leap about your child, you can find us at leapforward.com. That's L-E-E-P forward.com.